As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Beth. You can go ahead and take your seat. Thank you for being here this morning. This in the church calendar, if you follow the church calendar, this is Palm Sunday. And I will be teaching out of those verses that, uh, that Beth just read for us. Um, I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name is Randy, along with my wife, Rachel, who is not here today. She's at home with our son, who just had surgery. So, well, a couple weeks ago, and he's recovering well. So she sends her greetings as well. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for your word that illuminates and brings life and light. Lord, as we tackle, as we dig into, as we, as we look into your word this morning, Holy Spirit, thank you for reviving us, renewing us, reshaping us, remaking us, helping us rethink our own lives and rethink you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. How many people enjoyed a little bit of warm weather yesterday? Mark Hickling, English, got a little burn on his neck, was not aware that the sun can be warm in April. So be careful out there. Tomorrow is supposed to be 22, I think. I love it. Al always comes dressed like that, so we don't, Al is just ready for the summer all times. So it's good to see. That encourages me, though, Al, because I love the summer. Mark always, <laughs> Mark always makes fun of me that as soon as January hits, I start asking for summer. And then when October is here, I want the winter. So I'm a little strange, but maybe I just enjoy the seasons. It's good to see you and good to be here. All right. So Palm Sunday, it's the day, in a very interesting way, when Jesus is celebrated, King of Israel. A parade is thrown in his honor. Really, a spontaneous parade breaks out. Could you imagine? There's Donna walking through downtown St. Catharines, and all of a sudden, a spontaneous parade breaks out in Donna's honor. That's almost what happened. This, this, this spontaneous thing, exactly. And it's amazing. And people are just excited. And the Bible calls this the, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Isn't it powerful? Triumphantly enters Jerusalem. Palm Sunday also reveals something for us. It reveals one of our most ongoing struggles of faith. 
Who is Jesus to me? That's the struggle. That's the thing I have to dissect. That's the thing I constantly have to come back to in my faith. I know, I know we can sit here and say, yeah, but Jesus Lord, Jesus King, Jesus everything. Yeah, we get all that. But it doesn't always flesh out like that in everyday life. Come on. So we find ourselves in this place where we have to re-ask that question. Who is Jesus? So how do I perceive Jesus to be? Who do I want Jesus to be? How do I treat Jesus? What do I expect from Jesus? So here's some of the things that I really think this story, this example brings out for us. So in and through this event, this triumphant entry where Jesus celebrates as king, Hosanna, Hosanna means this, God saves. So when they were screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, you have to get that picture in your mind and, and, and try to get that little bit of that picture. People are shouting, Hosanna. What do they say? They're saying, God saves. And they're shouting that as the parade of Jesus goes by. And he's really their savior. Yet, less than one week from this celebration, many people from the same crowd will be shouting something different. They won't be shouting Hosanna. They'll be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Be careful of the crowd. It's fickle. <laughs> Amen? So that's, that's within a week. Today, the crowd is ready to crown Jesus king. In less than one week, they will crown him criminal. Today, I want to give you a front row seat to this triumphant entry by Jesus into Jerusalem. The front row seat to the parade of Jesus. So let's begin. Can you put yourself there? Can you, can you use your imagination a little bit for me this morning? You know, years ago, I had a great Bible teacher. He said this to me. He said, Whenever you're reading the Bible, whenever you're reading a story from the Bible, he said, try to put yourself there. But then try to put yourself there from the position of like every character mentioned. So today, let's put ourselves at this triumphant entry, at this parade on the front row. Can you see that? Can you see people throwing palm branches? Can you see people excited and cheering? Can you see just crowds of people filling the street? And you have a front row seat. So this begins on Main Street, the street that enters right through the heart of, of, of Jerusalem. It's the parade route. Now, can I say this? How many people are hockey fans? Two, four of us, yes! So you know, there's many people in Toronto today who are planning the parade route for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if they should win, Elle and I will be there. We will be looking for a front row seat to celebrate the Maple Leafs. Now, they made the playoffs last night, if you don't know. Secured a spot, but that's all good. So what else do we see? We see the, feet, the streets are full. People are cheering. But we don't know what we're looking for. The parade is this. Is this. The parade is always for the winning team. See, in order for there to be a parade in Toronto... The Leafs have to win the cup. So the parade is always for the victor. And this is the parody of this story of Jesus. Today, they're celebrating him as victor. Yet in a mere matter of days, 
he won't be the victor anymore. He'll be the criminal. He'll be the one who deserves death. Now let's dig into something a little different. The concept of this conquering king entering his city was not a new idea. This goes back centuries before Jesus. And here's really where it comes from. Kings and their armies who went off to battle would, would on the, upon their return, would parade the spoils of victory. You know, sometimes they would, they would parade the, the captured soldiers in, in tow, in chains. They may parade the king naked through the streets upon their return. And then they would, <clears throat> they would show the strength of their army. So get this picture. Like their, their chariots would come through, and the people would be so enthralled. So, oh, that's our army. And the king would be there on the biggest, baddest stallion he could find. Why? He's creating a picture. He's creating an image of victory, of success, of power, of strength. Now go back to Jesus' parade. The triumphant army would ride through the city in grandeur, with strength and displays of strength and power and victory. Now here comes Jesus, riding on the colt of a donkey. Do you see that? It's almost comical when you think about it. Because the real concept of a victorious parade was demonstrate your strength. Show your power. Show your success. Show your victory. Here comes Jesus on this, like, Colt, which is the baby of a mama donkey. So he's like, and who's behind him? Where's his victorious army? Well, he's followed by his 12 misfits. Come on. Instead of having his big victorious army and his generals and his captains and his and his his soldiers, no, he's got 12 people. They're like, woo, Jesus. So it gives us a bit of an interesting image. But nobody seems to notice this. The crowd crowd doesn't seem to sort of put this together, that this is an awkward display of power and strength. Yet they sort of just seem to get sort of caught up in the moment. And you can see Jesus' entourage. You can see his 12 guys. And I could probably in my mind, and this is just me ad-libbing a little bit, I can almost see Peter turning to John and say, see, look, the crowd finally gets it. They finally realize Jesus is king. Yes, see, I told you this day would come. And now they get it. They understand it. They've experienced it. We finally arrived. All these stiff-necked people who have been resisting Jesus, they finally understand. And they finally understand what we've always known. Jesus is awesome. He's king. So what do we learn about Jesus from how he enters Jerusalem? In that picture, with that contrast in your mind of the conquering king displaying his power and Jesus on a baby donkey. So what do we learn about Jesus? Well, Jesus says this to the crowd by entering that way. You can honor me as king... Because I am king. You can shout Hosanna, God delivers, because God does deliver, and I am the deliverer. 
Jesus also says this, I come in weakness, not in strength. My strength isn't my army. My strength isn't my battle-tested warriors. My strength, my proof isn't my spoils that I bring with me. My strength is humility. Isn't it amazing that Jesus always comes in humility? Come on. Where was he born? In a manger. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born surrounded by nobles. He was just born in a manger surrounded by animals. See, God always comes with humility. He doesn't enter Jerusalem on a stallion. He enters Jerusalem on a colt. Humility. So he's saying something about himself. He's also saying this. My army is made up of regular, everyday people. But these everyday people understand something. Great strength is found in our weakness and our need for a Savior. He's also saying this. This army, look at my 12 guys. Look at my conquering army. They're just made up of regular people. So what he's saying to the crowd is, come as you are. You're welcome to come join this parade. He's also saying this. I will conquer. And I'll conquer something. But I'm going to conquer something you're not aware that I'm going to conquer. I'm going to conquer sin and death by giving my life. You want me to conquer the Roman Empire. Yeah, but I'm going to conquer something more needful. He's also saying this. I lead through weakness. I lead through serving. Now here's the big one. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to write this down. Here's what Jesus is saying. I will always give you what you truly need. Not just what you think you need. Come on. I will always give you what you truly need not just what you think you need. Has that not been us at times in our lives? I come to God, and I have have need. Listen, it's not a mystery for us to sit in this room today and look around and understand this. Every person here has a need. Wow, that's so so amazing as you picked that up. No, that's life. (laughs) We, We all have need. But here's the question. What is the need that God wants to meet. God will always meet my deepest need, not just my perceived need. Because here's the reality. The truth is this. Sometimes I look at my life, and I can give you a list of things I need. I need Oscar to get better. I need Rachel to get more rest. I need this. I need this. I need this. They're needs. I can't deny that. That's a need. I didn't say they were unimportant. I didn't say God doesn't care. I didn't say that. I said, these are needs. But God always meets my deepest need. God always goes to the heart of the need. And you know what? I'm so thankful he goes to the heart of my need. Because when he goes to the heart of my need, my perceived needs get caught up in that. Amen? So I'm going to begin to end the message for today. And I want to say this. Here's how I'm going to attempt to end today. With a question. Who is Jesus to you? 
Who is Jesus to you? It seems like a simple question. It seems like a question that should just have an automatic sort of Christian robotic answer. I get that. But you see, when you really answer that question, this question will answer our deepest expectations of Jesus and our faith. So who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? That answers that expectation thing. Let me say this about expectation. Our expectations are the source of fulfillment and disappointments in life. Come on. In our relationships, we have expectations. We have expectations of people, places, things. And of course, we have expectations of God. And these are all areas of life that every one of us have certain expectations of. You know, if you, if you take the person, your spouse, or your children, or your best friend, the reality is every one of us have expectations of them. We say, this is how I expect them to act. This is how I expect them to be. When are you most satisfied? When they live up and go beyond your expectations. Come on. Do you know when I'm so happy? When Mullen exceeds my expectations, which happens quite often. She she listens without me even reminding her to listen. Huh, isn't that awesome? I don't have to say, Mull, you need to listen. She just listens. Or she listens the first time. Awesome. See, how, what are the expectations you and I have of God? Because here's the reality. When we can get to the core of it, we can really hone in there and say, what do I expect from God and of God? What do I really expect? That's, that's we begin to touch into something. So, for example, if I go out to my car after church this morning and I put the key in, I turn the key, I expect my car to start. If my car doesn't start, I have failed expectations. And now I'm frustrated, wondering, why in the world did my car Left the lights on. Need to get a boost. I expect that when I go out to a nice restaurant for dinner, a great meal awaits me. Do you know what's awesome? When the meal that you went out to get and had such high expectations of, when it exceeds your expectations, oh my goodness, that meal was better than I even imagined. That's exceeding your expectation. And all of a sudden, this joy and this sense of fulfillment and this, 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 ah, rises up inside of us. So here's the question. What is the crowd expecting of Jesus? When they're shouting, Hosanna, King of David, woo, you're awesome, Jesus. What are they expecting? What are they really hoping to happen? Because they have expectations. And here's the reality. Their expectations were dashed within a week. So what were their expectations? Were they fair expectations? Were they knowledgeable expectations? So here are some of the crowd's expectations. He is the new king. He's the guy we've been waiting for. He is going to deliver us from Roman occupation. He's God's deliverer. Jesus will give, them the, give, uh, give us our country back. 
See, but here's the truth. Jesus was about to answer their greatest perceived need. Deliverance from the Romans. All they could see was this need to be delivered from the Roman Empire. So I gotta be delivered. I gotta get out. I, I got, we just gotta get under, out from under the thumb of the Romans. Every person who has ever reached out to God has done so because of a perceived need. Come on. Every person who has ever reached out to God has done so because of, of a perceived need. Did you know after 9-11, churches in America just blew up. Attendance shot through the roof in America after 9-11. It lasted about a month or two, and then it went back down to normal levels. You know, I heard a, a, a funny little cute story. It's like the person who's in the hospital and calls the chaplain and says, Hey, I don't need you anymore. I was misdiagnosed. I'm good. And goes home. Did you catch that? That's somehow, sometimes how we perceive things. How do we react? So here's the question. Who is Jesus to you? Do I approach Christ with a wish list of what my greatest felt needs are? How do I respond if God doesn't give me what I think I need the most? What's my response? Is Jesus my sugar daddy? Or my spiritual butler? Jesus? James? Bernard? Whatever title you want to put on him. Do this for me. Go here, do that, Marie. Make that work out for me. Come on, go. Is that how we approach Christ? Like, he is there just waiting to do everything I beckon him to do? Is that, is that how I live? Does he answer me, or do I answer to him? The crowd who was celebrating Jesus were looking for what they thought they needed the most. Here's what they thought they needed. We need someone to come down from God and bring judgment on these Romans. That's what they thought they needed. But what they really needed and what they really got was someone to come down from God and bear their judgment. God is so good and so faithful. He will always meet our deepest need. Our deepest need. Can I encourage you this morning? Coming to church is awesome. It's the right decision to make. Come to church. Find a church. Get in a church. But you know what's better? Realizing that Christ saved you. Letting God do a work on the inside of you. Because God always begins from the inside out. Amen? See, we don't always approach life like that. We approach life pretty much opposite. We say, if the outside gets fixed, then I'll be happy in here. No. God is opposite. God says, no, no, let me fix you in there. Then this will straighten out. 
So here's our struggle. Here's our battle. Will we let God be God and do the work in here that he knows we need the most? Or do we fight him and say, no, I need you to fix that. And when you fix him and her and them and this and my finances and my boss, he's a real piece of work. Whatever you decide that, that needs to be fixed. See, here's the thing. Then we're slaves to this. We're not free. See, here's the thing. If we think life will be great when everything in my sphere is perfect, I'm not free. I'm not free. Do you see? I'm not free. I'm bound by the circumstances out of my control. I'm not free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Here's the question. How does Christ set us free? Does he set us free by fixing everything in our world? I've yet to know a Christian that was set free because God fixed everything in their world. You may be the first. I don't know. Maybe you're sitting here today and that's you. I've never met one. Do you know what I've met? I've met people who've been set free. Do you know how? God changed them in here. Come on. This is where it begins. When this changes, now this begins to change. Come on. Let the change begin here. I almost finish. I come to the end. When Jesus rides into town on a donkey, he's making these statements that I am king, I am savior, I will win, but I'm not going to win the way you think I'm going to win. I'm not going to give you what you think you need. I'm not going to deliver the Roman Empire into your hands. I'm not going to take it from them by force. I'm going to fix you from the inside. I'm going to give my life so you can have life with the Father. He says, I will win. Jesus is the humble, helpless, harmless Savior. That's Christ. Humble. See, don't think humble is weak. (laughs) Oh, humble people are strong people. Humble people are people who say, say what you want, do what you want. I trust him. That's a humble person. Seriously, you don't want to mess with a humble person. Go mess with a strong person. Don't mess with a humble person. You know why? You mess with a humble person, you'll be messing with him. Because a humble person says, it's not me, it's him. Be humble. Be, be, have humility. Let Christ exalt you. Let God do his work in you. Amen? Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, ready to reconcile the world to himself. Not by wrecking the world, but by giving his life to reconcile the world. You see, what, what, the, what the people of Israel, what the Israeli people really wanted, they wanted Jesus to kick the Romans out. I know I keep saying that, but that's a very important point to get. Do you ever watch the news? Give me a little wave if you watch the news. War is awful. War is brutal. Just this last week, some of the things that happened in Syria, war is brutal. 
There was, there was a terrorist attack in Sweden. War is brutal. War causes damage. So what, these, what the people of Israel wanted, they wanted Jesus to start a war. He says, I'm going to fix the world. I'm not going to wreck the world. So when Jesus comes and gives his life a ransom for people, he fixes the world by giving his life. It is so completely counter-cultural. Because we think fixing it means destroying something. Can I say this in closing? God may not always give you what you want, but be rest assured of this. He will always, always, always give you what you need. Amen? Go ahead, bow your head. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for who you are. Lord, we don't always see you for who you are. Sometimes we miss the fact that you come riding in on a donkey, and we want you to be on a stallion. And other times, Lord, you come in on a stallion, and we think you're not present. Father, help us to be aware. Help us to understand who you are, why you are, what you are. Father, I pray that we begin to get a a clearer picture, a clearer understanding of who you are, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.